warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara and as always I'm here with my girlfriend Jessica. Hello. Hello. And today is part two of our mini-series on the Barbie and Ken killers, aka Paul and Carla, who you guys should be familiar with by now. If not, go back to last Thursday's part one. You will get all the background on them, how they met, all of that stuff. I don't even want to say all that good stuff like I normally do, because these people are fucking awful. No good stuff. All bad stuff. All bad stuff. Horrible. Okay, so yeah, quick recap, like, they met at, like, a hotel bar type of situation, and Carla is 17 and in high school, and Paul is 23, I think, 23, 24-ish at this point. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there we are with that. And that was October of 1987. So the following month, Paul and Carla met up again, and Paul was like putting in the effort. He was driving in to see her twice a week. He was giving her all sorts of love, attention, lovey-dovey bullshit, right? AKA love bombing. And eventually, he just starts to take control over every single little aspect in Carla's life. He was telling her what to wear, how to style her hair, what kind of opinions she should have and how she should share them, what she should be eating. And Carla was just like, cool, throw all these red flags at me. This is fine. I'm good with it. I don't give a fuck because I'm in love is basically what she was doing. And she was she would tell her friends and tell people that Paul was her prince charming. And we know that this is the only girlfriend he had that encouraged and played into the sexual preferences and scarier stuff that Paul was into. So I guess he thought she was kind of a keeper. So, you know, they their relationship continued. Now, Carla's friends and family, everybody loved Paul at first. Everyone loved him because like we said in the last episode, you know, very charismatic. He was attractive. He had graduated college. He had this good job. You know, he was making money, doing sketchy things that we'll talk about in a little bit Mm -hmm. that Carla knew. But like, I don't I'm assuming not many people knew about. So really on paper, again. Coming across as this perfect man, and no, very, very opposite. If you guys right remember, he had he attacked two victims prior to meeting two, yeah, two prior to Carla, 
And the next one that took place that we're going to talk about now is on December 16th, 1987. This was his third rape, and his victim was a 15-year-old girl. Mm. The attack lasted an hour. And the following day, the Toronto Police Service issued a warning to women in the immediate area traveling alone at night. You know, like a caution, like don't travel alone, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Especially those taking buses, because that was part of his MO. And just like before with the other attacks, the next one was fairly quickly. It was on December 23rd, 1987. During this attack, he raped a 17-year-old with the knife he used to threaten all of his victims with. Mm. And at this point, this is when he started being referred to to the public as the Scarborough Rapist. Got it. Now, honeymoon phase goes away very quickly for these two. So about a year into Carla and Paul's relationship, things, he starts showing more of his real self. Things start not going so great. And Carla, which you guys will learn, you can take with a grain of salt. Some of the stuff obviously is like, okay, yeah, that's true. Because like, we have proof that happened. But just saying, right? you can do what you want with Carla's narrative with this. I have feelings, but we'll talk about that later. Carla said that around this time, he switched from being a sweetheart to a bit of a devil. A bit of a devil. That's how you describe a rapist. Okay. He just kind of seemed to flip a switch and he started being verbally abusive towards her. He would cuss at her. He would call her names. He would just say really fucked up shit on top of the other types of abuse. And it just, it was just like not great. It was like, kind of like, why are you still there? But obviously it strokes his ego because she's an extremely submissive person to him and trying to be what he wants, especially like in these early days, because, you know, she's like 17, 18. She's young, you know, at this point. And basically any time that Carla tried to break up with him during this, he did what a lot of abusers will do. And they'll, you know, give these bullshit apologies and say everything's going to change. And all of that. Right. And then, you know, he'd apologize. He'd love bomb some more and things would go back to great for, you know, a short period of time. It's, it's a cycle. And basically, apparently Carla came to this realization to herself that, you know, she she was the right fit for him. They were perfect for each other for like a partnership and companionship, but he needed more sexually with his impulses. Got it. Now. They were very much if you I mean, if you look at their pictures, it's pretty obvious. They were very much about keeping that front like everything's great. We're a perfect couple. You know, he had his job and he also I don't know exactly what year he started it. I think he was already doing it at this point. But basically, he apparently I'm just like, wow, way to date this. He was smuggling cigarettes from over the Niagara Falls border in New York up to Canada. And was apparently making pretty bomb money with it. Oh, okay. I'm like, interesting. That's so weird to me. Like, I'm like, I don't understand, but okay. (laughs) And, you know, they'd have parties, they'd have friends over. And of course, he was like, he'd have his fucking camera, all that shit. Oh, and fun fact, did you know he wanted to be a rapper? I mean, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. Y'all can look that up. It's um, very telling with lyrics. That obviously went nowhere. But like, basically, (laughs) also during there was a house party one time. And I don't know, like, if they went into Carla's room for something, or they just got curious or what the fuck. 
But they like people started kind of finding out they were into a little bit more than just like vanilla sex, to put it lightly, because obviously they're fucking monsters. They found it like handcuffs and they were Carla's. And so she was like, oh, Paul likes playing games in the bedroom. Haha. And then people were just kind of like, "Okay." And then another weird thing. (laughs) This will make more sense later. When friends, especially females, would get drinks from Paul. They sometimes said it either tasted bitter or it looked like it had white stuff floating. Ew. So. I don't like that. Pocket that for later. Now, 1988 was also a big year because this is when the Scarborough Rapist Task Force was made by the Metro Police. And at this point, it seemed that the rapes had stopped, except for one similar attack in May of 1988 in a nearby town. Also, in March of 88, Carla's friend Lisa discovers the list. Now, the list Carla had written, she just had, like, talked about how she was, like, she had, like, OCD. She was, like, really, like, had to keep everything clean, had to have lists organized, all of that stuff. And on this list, she put on there having a healthy diet, exercising regularly, and having good hygiene. She also writes about, like obviously referring to like her and Paul. Mm -hmm. And it says, never let anyone know our relationship is anything but perfect. Don't talk back to Paul. Be a perfect girlfriend for Paul. If Paul asks for a drink, bring him one quickly and happily. Remember, you're stupid. Remember, you're ugly. Remember, you're fat. I don't know why I tell you these things because you never change. And people think that's like him. Well, the first part he's definitely said to her, but like that last sentence, they think it's him saying that to her or her saying that to herself. Well, it's probably both. It's probably like he's saying it to her and she's repeating it like because she's brainwashed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, during the spring going into early summer, there was three more attacks in this time of the year. So on April 18th, he attacked another 17-year-old. This would be the fifth assault, and this attack lasted 45 minutes. Also, I will say, if you guys want more details on those specific events for any reason, you guys can, there's plenty of resources to do so. This is a very, very heavy case. So I am only going to go like super deep into details into the attacks that help explain the story, I guess I should say. That makes sense. I don't even like to say it like that. It's just like, there's like, there's three victims that play a big part. It's like the ones that convicted And how them. this case, per- yes, how it connected them and how they figured out shit later. Okay, I'm done. Sorry, sorry. Just had to like <laughs> edit myself. I get it. <laughs> and say, yeah, I had to explain. Uh, okay. All right, so on May 25th, 1988, he was almost caught by a uniformed Metro Toronto investigator who was staking out the bus stop. And the investigator noticed him hiding under a tree and pursued him on foot, but Paul got away. Oh, shit. It always, like, when this kind of shit happens, like, where you have someone who goes on to, like, kill people. Yeah. And they almost get caught like before. It's so crazy to me. Mm -hmm. Then 
just five days after he almost is caught, he commits his sixth rape. And this time it's in a different town. It is in Clarkson, which is said to be about 25 miles away from Scarborough. And this victim was 18 years old and the attack was 30 minutes. Now, there is a bit of a lull in his time frame of attacks. So jumping into fall now of 1988, on October 4th, he attempted a seventh attack. And the victim fought him off, but he did stab her two times, once like in her thigh and her butt. And that victim did have to get 12 stitches. Damn. Yeah. But she lived. Yeah, I was going to say, but she's, I mean, the emotional scar, she's not lucky, but like she's lucky she got away. Yes. Now, November is an interesting time in 1988 as well, because another person is going to come into play. But before that, this is on November 16th of 88, he committed his seventh rape against a 18-year-old victim in the backyard of her parents' house. And also, during this time, he met a girl named Anna, and he started dating her while still being with Carla. So it wasn't just like his one-night stands. He had like a whole second relationship going with this person. Yes. And... Around this time as well, Paul started being a fucking creep and taking an interest into Carla's younger sister, Tammy. And he got really protective and demanded that Tammy not have sex with any guys. Ew. Yeah. And then to jump to 1989 on June 20th, he did attempt to rape another victim, but she got away and her screams like, caught her neighbor's attention, and he fled the scene, and he left with scratches on his face. So now you can see he's starting to kind of get a little bit less control of what he's doing, it seems. Right, he's devolving. hmm And August 15th of that year, he committed his eighth rape against a 22-year-old victim. He had stalked her from the previous night from outside of the window of her apartment and waited for her to arrive home. And this attack on this victim was two hours. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's so long. Mm-hmm. And on November 21st of 89, he committed his ninth rape against a 15-year-old who he saw at a bus stop. And that attack lasted 45 minutes. I know. Fucking horrible. Now, this will bring us to December of 1989. And during this time, Carla's with him, you know, the whole time. And she is desperate to rekindle their love and save their relationship. So they decide to take a trip to Niagara Falls. And Carla describes everything being perfect, that Paul was back to his old self. This was the dude she had fell in love with. You know, he was loving. He treated her like a queen, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, Paul proposes. And she said that she couldn't believe it. And she was just so happy, you know, and she was like all excited and everything and ready to plan her wedding. And she would tell her friends, Paul and I are happier than ever. He's been so great, so romantic, but that's typical of my honey. Well, also being a piece of shit is typical of your honey because two days after the engagement on December 22nd, he committed his 10th rape against a 19 year old victim. 
and this attack lasted 30 minutes and happened under the stairwell of an underground parking lot. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Just, you would think after being enga- getting engaged, like, you would be, like, on this high, and you wouldn't need mm-hmm. that. I mean, maybe that's that's why. Maybe. I don't know. We're never going to understand these sick fucks. I don't really want to. So this one, this one is a big deal. So this attack right here. So on May 26, 1990, Paul committed his 11th rape. And this attack lasted over an hour. However, she survived and must have had like a photographic memory because she is the reason why they got the police sketch that you guys have probably seen pictures of of him when they were still trying to figure out who the Scarborough rapist was. Fucking insane. And police released that two days later, and it got published in newspapers, as you can imagine, since he was causing terror for so many people, you know, in this area. It had been going on for so long. Exactly. So, I said three days later, right? So the 29th of May, wouldn't you know, Paul's friends started seeing it and was like, what the fuck? That looks exactly like Paul. It's like the Bundy moment. Mm-hmm. So they contacted the police. And uh, Paul was cooperative. Paul was polite. He went in and even gave a DNA sample as well. But because this is, you know, 1990, this is like that kind of stuff was like infancy. Right. At best. <laughs> But you know what? Paul was not a dumb guy. He knew this would take quite a while and bought him some time. So he decided to essentially, without it being like official, he was basically living with Carla and her family. Mm, Okay. At this point, because they lived like out of town, basically. So he'd be overspending a night a lot and things like that. Like, um, Like every day, basically, he was there. He pretty much lived there. And of course, Tammy, Carla's younger sister, was super excited about this because she loved Paul too. And she actually had a little schoolgirl crush on him, you know, like being an older dude and all of that stuff. But Paul, we know he's a piece of shit. Right. Total piece of shit. Yes. So like I mentioned earlier, he started having like, like an obsession basically with her. He would secretly watch her undress and he found out that she was a virgin. So that's why he made those weird like, oh, don't have sex with guys or whatever the fuck he said stuff that I mentioned earlier. And he wanted her. He wanted her because a point of contention with all of the fighting with him and Carla that he always threw in Carla's face was the fact that she was not a virgin when they got together. So you weren't a virgin. Exactly. But, you know, narcissist gonna narcissist. And he's like saying like, he deserves that experience or what the fuck ever. I don't fucking know exactly what he had said, but something like that. Sir, you have been out there throwing your like dick at everything that will take it and some that won't. You haven't found a virgin. I'm sure he could have found a virgin. Well, he wanted Tammy. Well, that's a specific virgin. And Carla, of course goes along with every fucking thing Paul says and is like, go for it. Do it. It's just sex. Cool. Don't care. Even though her sister is a literal child. Right. She's 15. Well, she was also like 17. So 
in her mind. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 No, I get that. But I'm just like pointing it out again for (laughs) y'all. Now, he knew that Paul knew he had to plan carefully with this, right? And he was like, okay, I have to actually plan this out because being at their parents' house, like, obviously, that's much more opportunity to get caught, right? Right. So he had to he had to think about it. And like I said, he brought up her not being a virgin. He'd pick fights with her. He'd even go as far to say that she was, quote, a town bicycle that everyone had a ride before him, had had a ride before him, end quote. And this was like not true at the right. time whatsoever. But like I said, basically wore Carla down and or maybe not wore her down, depending on how you feel about Carla. And was like, okay. I will participate in this plan so you can do what you're going to do. It also might, to play devil's advocate, but not believing what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It might be just easier to go along with it because then it's done. Yeah. He can't be fixating on her sister's virginity if he's already taken it. True, true. That is something to think about. So basically they were planning, let's knock her out. You do your thing, and she wakes up and doesn't realize any of it happened. So they did try this one time before the actual attack happens. Basically, what it was was like earlier in the month of December, it was her parents' anniversary, so they had went out of town for the weekend. And Carla's like other sister, I think, or something like that, you know, usually went out on the weekends, but she was home. So then they were like, oh, no, we're not by ourselves. We're not going to do it. You know, that kind of thing. Right. It's, it's easier to get caught if there's more witnesses. Mm-hmm. Which will lead us to November 23rd of 1990. So Carla and Paul and Tam, like everyone's there for like Christmas. But like at this point, Tammy's kind of like, OK, Paul's like older and being kind of creepy and I'm not interested. Right. Mm-hmm. Just not fucking interested. And so. They would like take their family picture in front of the tree like a lot of people do and did. And basically, Tammy was up in her room on the phone with someone and just like, I don't feel like fucking being around here type of thing. Got it. Yeah. So there's that. But eventually she did come back downstairs. And at, I said the 23rd. I mean, the 20th. It was Christmas Eve. Basically, you know, she came back down and they had like two couches. And so Carla and Paul were on one couch and she was on the other one and they were watching a movie. And basically, they kind of were like, oh, let's, you know, let's have some drinks while we watch this. Like they had had some eggnog earlier, like spiked eggnog during the Mm -hmm. festivities with the family. So like no big deal, whatever. But, 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 but this would not turn out very well. So they ended up putting sleeping pills in there to like knock her out. Mm-hmm. And these like sleeping pills and stuff, these tablets and stuff they used, that's what they were doing to the friends. They were testing it out to see how much to put in to knock them out for how long, but they wouldn't oh. drink it. Or once they tasted it and it was bitter and they were like, oh, God, no, they stopped drinking it. So that didn't work. So they don't have a like a frame of reference. No. Which now, you shouldn't. Yeah. This, what they do to her is so fucking horrible. I am not going to go super, super into detail. Like I said, if you guys want to look up, you most certainly can. So once Tammy was knocked out right there 
out in the open, Paul starts raping her while she's knocked out. Open? Like in the living room? In the living room. In the living room basement thing downstairs, yes. Where anyone, where the sister could have walked in, parents could have walked in because they had went to bed. Literally anybody. And Carla, he has Carla recording it. Ew. That's that's another thing that happens a lot as we go on. There's a lot of like video and stuff like that. I don't recommend checking that out. And then after he finished, he told Carla it was her turn. Her turn? To rape her sister. (gasps) And do all of these things that no. And according to Carla... This was not in the original plan that she supposedly went along with it because she was scared of what Paul would do to her if she refused. Okay. That's what Carla says. That's not what I'm saying. That's what Carla says. I know. Disclaimer for everybody else because someone's going to half hear me and think I'm like defending her. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just telling you what she said. We are not. We are reporting. <laughs> we are reporting things that have been said before. Yes. So after the attack, Tammy began convulsing like she was going to vomit and she started choking on her vomit. So they were like, fuck. So they moved her. They put her in Carla's room, I think. And then they put her clothes back on. They hid the camera out of view and they called 911. And Paul like tried to clear her mouth out and like they were trying to resuscitate her. You know, they were trying to not have this turn into her dying, basically. Got it. Yes. And when the first responders got there, they said, oh, you know, we had been drinking because of the holiday and watching movies and she drank too much and she passed out and then she started choking on her vomit. So they take her to the hospital, but Tammy was pronounced dead. That's sad. I knew it was coming, but it was it's still really sad to hear it. Now. Something that was a big red flag. And I I saw what this looks like because I'm like, there's no way they fucking believe this. Okay, so when the doctors are examining Tammy's body, Mm -hmm. they notice a burn. If you look at me, I'll show you. It it basically goes like on her jaw, up her cheek, down her mouth, and then it comes like down her neck. And it's like red. It's red. And they ask... They asked them about that. And at first they're like, oh, maybe we were just like doing CPR too aggressively or something. And then they were like, oh, wait, actually, it's it's a rug burn. It's from the floor, but it's definitely not a fucking rug burn. Because at first I was like, oh, it must be it must have been a small area. Like I didn't realize how big it was until I saw a photo and they were like, oh, it's because we, you know, we violently like pulled her from the bed to the floor. Not the CPR thing. Excuse me. But no, it was a chemical burn. And you can tell it's a chemical burn. Like, if you look at it, you can tell it's a chemical burn because it's like red. And this came from the substance Holcien, which wouldn't you know. Fun fact, this drug is used to put animals to sleep and also can be used for humans. It's that concentrate they would use with the oxygen tank, you know, when they put the mask on you to make you go under. That's what that is. Uh Uh-oh. Now. How would they get this? Well, like I said, and like Jess said, Carla was a vet tech. Right. And not only was she a vet tech, she was in charge of ordering the medications for her office. And she had to go, she would go pick them up and bring them back. So Carla stumbled upon a book at work 
that had all the drugs in it, all the sedatives, everything. And she read that and she studied that and she found the best, quote, best thing to use. Well, she thought it was this. So what did she do? She just added a couple, you know, vials or whatever it comes in to the order. She went and picked it up. And before she came back to the office, she just pocketed the Holzian. I would just be like, somebody's stealing from me if I was that vet. But I guess if she's handling all the ordering, then. She's handling all the ordering. It's 1990. It's true. <laughs> yeah. So on December 27th, Tammy's funeral takes place. And there was some weird reports saying that because it was an open casket, Carla was like adjusting her hair. And then there was other ones saying Paul was like stroking her hair. So one of them or both of them was touching poor Tammy's dead body. They were, And I'm just yeah. like, get the fuck away. Disgusting. Disgusting. Now, this escalated fights of course, as you can fit, like imagine with Carla and Paul, right? And every time she threatened to leave, Paul threatened that he was going to go and report, like tell them what really happened with Tammy's death and basically like threaten her saying she's going to go to prison and all this other stuff. And he would take the videotape and like keep it on him in like his pocket and stuff. So Carla would be like, fine, fine, fine. I'll do what you say. Oh, because he would be like, you participated. It's like blackmail. In- yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also, like, she's the one who got the fucking drugs. Yes. Now, this, I hated how this was phrased when I read about this attack. So we would have another attack two weeks before their wedding. So we're in June, which their wedding was on June 29th, 1991. So we're in June now of 91. And Paul says, quote, he had a special gift for her in the car that would be memorable for the rest of their lives. How fucking disgusting is that? Because you already know what it's going to be. Right. (sighs) Well, he popped out of the house. And next thing Carla knows, he's dragging in a 14-year-old girl into their apartment. (gasps) So young. This victim, her name is Leslie Maffey. Now, this poor girl, they kept her for two weeks. Oh, no. And they raped and tortured her literally like round the clock. It was so fucking sad. And here we are again. He's recording like all of this. All of this. And according to Carla, Paul was the one that decided to murder her, and Leslie was strangled to death with an electrical cord. After they murdered 14-year-old Leslie, they moved her body downstairs, and they left her there while they hosted a Father's Day dinner. What? And they made sure to make sure nobody was going down there so nobody know what, knew what was like going on. There was like an instance where they almost were fucked, And her mom was going to go down to, like, grab the potatoes or something. And Carla's like, I got it. I'll do it. And, yeah, that was why. And then, oh, my God, there was – it was in one of the videos I saw. They said that they read that basically Carla was, like, pissy because having to be around the dead body made her not want to have dinner. That's your fault, you dumb bitch. I mean, like (laughs) – Like, what the fuck? I understand that concept. Like, I wouldn't – it would dampen anyone's appetite, but like you caused it. 
You could have just not killed her and abducted her or anything like that. And the Father's Day dinner would have been great. And it gets worse. Hmm. So the next day, while Carla was at work, Paul used a saw to cut up her body into pieces. And then he covered her remains in cement to make cement blocks to drop into Lake Gibson. Then just a few days later, they got married in front of 150 family and friends. That's what always throws me is like these like real life events with these people Mm -hmm. who are like committing heinous, heinous crimes. And then they're like, gonna get married. Mm hmm. However, during this, a unlucky fisherman, I hope he got any resources needed, found Leslie's body and obviously reported it to the police. Good. For reporting it. Yeah. Now, after this, they went on their honeymoon and they did exactly what they fucking do in normal life. It was said that they kidnapped, drugged, and sexually assaulted multiple teenagers. They didn't kill anybody but made sure that the sleeping tablets were strong enough to knock them out and erase any memory from the day of the kidnapping to the assault. Terrible. Mm Mm-hmm. And oh my God, okay, something that I just have to throw in here. I can't remember if there was like a date mentioned, but in 1991, like after they had, you know, they ended up moving to St. Catharines and they had like people over. They had their friends over. They They were friends with like another couple. And... The pet iguana, she had a pet iguana that she like saved from work, basically, like a big ass one, like a full grown one. And she loved him and she thought he was the coolest thing, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, when the friends were hanging over, the iguana bit the the female friend. Oh. So Paul got pissed and he got the iguana and he was like doing whatever the fuck he was doing and it bit him. And you know what this motherfucker does? No. If if you don't want to hear this, because I think you guys know where this is going, fast forward like maybe 30 seconds to a minute, probably 30 seconds. What he did was he took the iguana into the kitchen, chopped its head off on the counter, left it there, told Carla to deal with it. She fucking takes it, skins it. He fucking barbecues it and makes them eat it. All four of them. Traumatized. Yeah, like what the fuck? And the fucking poor girl, she felt bad because the whole reason this whole thing started was because it bit her. But I'm like, dude, that's not your fault. You didn't know Paul was going to be a fucking psycho. You probably just thought he was going to go put it in its tank. Like, what the fuck? Like most people would have done. Mm hmm. Exactly. So in 1991, there are two more attacks. So on April 6th of 1991. He committed his 12th rape to a victim age 14. But this was, again, going down that road of being like unhinged and stuff because it wasn't the same MO. It wasn't at night. He didn't follow her at a best stop. Like it was a completely different situation. Now, Carla, I will go to say, becomes bait for these victims. She absolutely helps bring them in. Oh, for sure. Yes. On June 7th of 91, Carla invites a victim identified as Jane Doe, age 15, to a girls' night. And, of course, they had their fucking plan of drugging her with the sleeping pills and having Paul rape her. 
And they, I believe they both, this victim, they do both rape her and take turns videotaping. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. All right. Now our other notable one is going to be an attack that took place on April 16th of 1992. Now, Carla and Paul are driving around looking for a victim. They spent about 30 minutes driving around and they saw a girl named Kristen French walking home from school. Paul pulls up next to her and Carla pretends to ask for directions, saying they're late. And as soon as they get her close enough, they shove her in the car and they drive away. Now, there was eyewitnesses to this. And this is where it's like, damn it, because, you know, like you can't 100 percent rely on eyewitness testimony just for so many factors, you know? Right. As we've learned. And as soon as Kristen was reported missing, like tips were coming in left and right. And there was one eyewitness account that the authorities fucked themselves up with and they focused on the eyewitness said she was get she was pulled into a cream Camaro or like a tan Camaro or a white Camaro, like a light color Camaro. Mm hmm. So they started looking into everybody that owned that and it belonged to none of them. Now, something that pissed me off with this and I'm like, dude, why the fuck can't you use your goddamn brain? She had said to the police when she was telling them this, I'm not a car person. I don't know car. Like, right. Like, show the woman some pictures of cars. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) Uh, But by the way, all these people that were like interviewed and stuff for the car, none of them were fucking Paul, obviously, because he didn't have that fucking car. Right. And this got media attention really quickly because she, you know, she always went straight home from school. She never took longer than 15 minutes to walk home. And poor Kristen was held captive by them for three days. Mm. And during these three days, she was raped, tortured, and had to experience sexual humiliation. However, Kristen is quoted standing up to her captors at one point saying, there are some things worth dying for. Like that just hurts my heart so bad. So on April 19th, Paul Bernardo murdered Kristen the same way that Leslie was murdered and used a court. They dumped her body not far from the lake where they had dumped Leslie's remains, but they left her naked in like a kind of wooded area in a ditch along number one side road in North Burlington. And police found her fairly quickly. Her remains were found and identified by April 30th. And just like the other victims, there was video of this as well from Carla and Paul. Now, this is when they start piecing things together. I told you guys there was a reason. So Kristen and Leslie's, they started figuring out, you know, oh, my God, these actually might be connected. And another sketch was released and more tips came in from people who knew Paul. And they were like, "Mm, by the way, he's a fucking creepo. Here's all this shit, you know, and people start fucking talking. Right. Right. Because especially they're like, Shit, this is twice the same picture of this dude has come out. Mm -hmm. And also, okay, so have to mention 
that when they started doing like all of these these tips and stuff, even the previous year when they had that computer generated one, mm-hmm. Van went to the police. Remember his little bestie? He went to the police. Oh, shit. And sorry to kind of like bounce back and forth, but I just had to like show you guys like how fucking sociopathic these people are because it's like they were still living normal fucking their normal fucking life. Right. While all this shit's happening. So on the cop side, these tips and stuff are coming in. So kind of like, sorry, we're going to do dual point of view for those who like book talk and books and shit. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So I said Van came forward. So Van came forward on May 1st of 92, actually. And they, they, like I said, Paul talked to the cops multiple times about different fucking victims. They took his DNA and talk to him again about those two atta- those two kidnappings, but he's not considered high on the list of suspects. Of course not. Of course not. Of course not. Now, another victim to mention that technically it said that there wasn't evidence to, to link them to this one, but there was a victim on May 23rd of 1992, 27-year-old Terry Anderson. They found her body beside a road. And so they had thought, you know, maybe this murder was linked to the other. But at that time, they didn't have any evidence to connect it. Pretty Got much. it. Yes. Now, apparently, the Jane Doe I mentioned, mm-hmm. she had, like went back and tried to confront them about or try to confront Carla about like, you know, the whole thing with Paul, because she was friends with Carla. She was like, no, I'm hanging out with you guys to be friends with you. I'm not here to be like doing anything. So, of course, that makes Paul all pissy because Paul's a bitch. Agreed. Yes. And on December 27th, 1992, he beat the fuck out of Carla with a flashlight. And those pictures are very graphic. She has, as you can imagine, two like giant ass Black eyes, you can tell she's been beaten up and uh, all of that. Well, Carla's parents are trying to like, like they got some calls from like friends saying, hey, you need to go down and see Carla. Like you need to go take a look at her. And they're like, why? And they're like, just go. So they're like, okay. So they go. And at first, like Paul's like trying to, you know, keep her away type of shit. Well, they come back. And they keep coming back. And around like January 5th, so now like in 1993, her parents see her and they're like, no, like, fuck this. Oh, actually, they tried once before and they were like, pack your bags. We'll meet you at your house at X time. We'll take you. Well, Paul was there and like she was like, no, it's fine, whatever. But then they went back and then they were like, no, fuck this shit. Because they tried to earlier, like I think months prior or something. But when they saw her with the two giant ass black eyes and stuff, they're like, no, fuck this. You're coming with us right fucking now. Like, this is not OK, because obviously they didn't know about all the other shit and the shit that Carla's doing. So, you know, as any parent would, they were like, what the actual fuck? Right now she's like, wait, 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 let me let me go get some stuff, whatever. And apparently she goes to take the videotapes oh. with her because Paul's arrested for this, but he and charged with assault, but he's not he doesn't stay in jail very long. Like he gets let out fairly quickly on that. Like that it was like the way they made it sound was like it was not even like a fucking day, pretty much. Well, remember how I said that they started pulling DNA and shit? Mm-hmm. 
And that was a couple months ago at this point now. So they finally get this back. And guess what they found out? So February 1st, that tells you like how long this shit took. Paul's a match to this DNA from one of the samples from the Scarborough Rapist. What? Weird. Weird. Oh, and remember how I mentioned all the awful stuff Paul's dad did in episode one? Mm-hmm. February was a busy month for this family because on February 8th of that year, Paul's far- father is convicted of sex-related charges. <laughs> sex is suck. Interesting. Bye. Yeah. Generational. And now what's going to happen and kind of wrap us up for this episode that we'll talk more about in the next one is after this DNA match, shit starts hitting the fan and Carla thinks she's going to self like save herself and go spill this tea on how horrible fucking Paul is. Right. Because she has the full opportunity to present whatever side story she wants from herself. But we're going to learn that's not all true in what she goes on to say. But I'm not going to get into that because I want to save that for next episode for sure. But spoilers, he gets arrested on February 17th of 1993. (laughs) I think we all knew that was coming. Yeah. So... That is where we're going to stop right here. Like I said, we are going to backtrack just a little bit in episode three next Thursday, and I will give you guys the breakdown on what Carla was saying and what she was saying, pretty much what was going on with everything and how that starts to play out with how they proceed with the trial and all of that and the charges. (sighs) Oh, all right. Well, that is going to wrap us up for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. I know this was a heavier episode, so I hope you guys can go do something fun after this. Go listen to a paranormal episode. We had one recently where we just like babbled for half the episode and apparently y'all liked it. So (laughs) if you need that in your life, there you go. (laughs) But with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off and we'll see you back here on Monday. Bye. Toodles. Toodles.